0: Hi, my name is Steve. I'm a member of King's Cross Church as well as part of the worship team. And you're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, you can visit kingscross.org. Thank you. If you don't know me, my name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad you're here. If you're brand new, I hope maybe you'll fill a connection card out uh, before you leave. They're in the seat back in front of you. You can drop it in the box there or stop by the welcome desk uh, on your way out. We'd love to get you plugged into what it is that the Lord is doing here. Normally, this time of year, we are in a short series that is kind of thematically related to Christmas, but this year, we have been in a year-long study of the Bible. So we began back on January 1st which was a Sunday in the book of Genesis. We're going to end here in a few weeks. Uh, December 31st is also uh, a Sunday. We'll only have service at 10 o'clock that day, if um, if you're uh, not already tuned into that. Um, and our Christmas Eve services are going to be at 2, three thirty, and 5. And so uh, make sure you're aware of those schedule changes. But we've been in it uh, all year long. And back in January, what we saw was that God created everything that is, that he created it good that he created man in his image, but our response to God's good creation was rebellion. We sinned against him, we shattered the good paradigm that God had made, but in his love and wisdom and sovereignty, God revealed a plan to make all things right again by sending his son to redeem and restore all of mankind and indeed all of creation. As we have progressed through the year, what we saw was that plan beginning to unfold. We saw God make a series of covenant promises with Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. We saw him create for himself a people, the nation of Israel, who he redeemed out of slavery and brought into a land that he had promised them. He established them as a nation. He gave them a sacrificial system and he ruled over them as the divine king. But eventually what happened is the same old patterns of sin and rebellion crept in and God's people began to drift farther and farther and farther away from his heart and from his mission. They chose their wisdom over his, their laws over his, and ultimately their human kings over him as their king. And so God tore apart the nation that he had created. He raised up evil kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon to come in and and to break apart and exile the nation of Israel. But he, what he did not break was his covenant promises because through all of that, he preserved a faithful remnant of people who trusted in his promises and that faith that they had in the promises of God was counted to them as righteousness and they were saved. As the Old Testament concluded, the prophets were reiterating the promises of God that there was one coming one who would be a Messiah that had long ago been promised. And so the New Testament begins with the events that we celebrate at this time of year, the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man. And we learn that the baby that Mary held in her arms would grow up to live a life of perfect obedience to God's law, of perfect submission To God's will, he explained in his teaching and his preaching ministry that he was one with God because he had come from God to accomplish once and for all the promises made initially by the law and the sacrificial system that all who had faith in God could be saved. And his clear and repeated teaching on who he was and why he had come got him killed by the religious establishment of his day. But on the third day after his crucifixion, he rose again from the dead. He spent 40 days in and around Jerusalem preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then he ascended to heaven where he sent his spirit to empower his followers to carry out his mission. He called those followers the church. So for the last seven weeks, we have been looking at um, what in, in through various letters in the New Testament what it looks like for the people of God to be the church and the role that the people of God have in individual local churches. And this morning we're continuing that study of the church by looking at Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 16. The book of Ephesians is a letter uh, that's written by the apostle Paul Uh, to the church in a city called Ephesus. It's a very, very influential church in a very, very influential city. And he says this to them in Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, and he was literally writing to them from prison where he had been sentenced because of his teaching and preaching ministry about the gospel. So I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge... You, the church in Ephesus, and the individual believers that make up the church, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That apostolic urging, Paul's pastoral plea, is every bit as relevant for us today as it was for the Ephesians then. It's the biblical truth that's in your sermon notes. If you're somebody that likes to, follow along that way, that churches and Christians are called to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. To walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. In the verses that follow at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul paints a picture of what it looks like for Christians and churches to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus in their lives and the call that he has put on their lives. Three ways to walk the walk, if you will, of healthy biblical Christianity. Let's look at it together. First, he says to be united. The walk in a manner worthy of Jesus is to be united. You may have heard me use this analogy before, but the church is not Costco. I'm a member of At Costco and so when I go shop there everybody else who's at Costco is also a member we all have access to the same Costco benefits we all gather to shop in the same place but my experience there is completely individual right so if I'm you know back in the far corner there and you're picking up three pounds of guacamole and we see each other and you know hey how are you and um there's no reason to buy that much guacamole it goes bad anyway like but um it's a big container uh, right so and we you know hey it's good to see you see church sunday and it's a good but you know if two months from now you're shopping at sam's that doesn't really impact my experience at costco right that's not the church the church is not designed to be an individual experience. The pictures that we get of the church in the New Testament are of a people united. The analogies are used that it's a body, the body of Christ, or that we're a house, a spiritual house, individual stones that make up a temple. Or two weeks ago, Pastor Josh talked about us being a team in a little more modern day analogy. If Jesus' people are going to walk in a manner worthy of Him, we have to be. United. Listen to the unifying language in verses 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is unifying language. So, what is it then that unites Christians or unites churches or, or that should Paul? Well, in verse 1, he says, We are to be united by your calling. By your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So Paul means Christians call to follow Jesus, call to repentance and faith, the call of God on the lives of his people. So Christians recognize in one another and relate to one another based on this common experience of grace. We have been adopted into the same spiritual family. We have the same heavenly father. We are indwelled by the same spirit, called to pursue the same mission. We look forward to the same eternity. We recognize this, it unites us. So think about people in your life, the various spheres that maybe you most quickly identify with. Maybe people in your sorority or your fraternity. People who served in the same branch of the military as you. People from your home state or from your hometown maybe other parents of twins or other survivors of cancer, whatever it is, all of us have people that we feel kind of a a quicker connection to based on some shared commonality. That should never be more true than it is with those who have been called from death to life by the grace of God through their common faith in Christ. That's why we use family language to address one another as brother as sister we're united by our calling then in verses two and three he adds being united by your conduct by your conduct so he, he describes this unity he says with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit there's a common way that followers of Jesus act or are eager to act we long to conduct ourselves like Jesus that's why we're called christians right christians little christ now we don't always hit the mark and But there is in all followers of Jesus a God-given eager desire to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. So we want our conduct and our relationships, our ethics, our minds to be more and more and more and more conformed to the image of Christ as we go through life. And when we see others doing that or we see others striving to do that, it brings us joy. It creates unity among us because we have a like-mindedness about that conduct. We don't see gentleness as weak. We see it as Christ-like. We don't see patience as being walked on and not standing up for ourselves. We see patience as a gift of the Spirit. We bear with one another, or to use language from our day, we put up with one another. That's what Paul's saying, right? We put up with one another because we recognize that there are times when the others had to put up with us, And so there's this common pattern of conduct that creates a like-mindedness and unites us under the banner of our king. One more way Paul says believers are to be united in verses 4 to 6 is by your confession. By your confession. It's by your calling, by your conduct, and by your confession. We are almost certain that verses 4 to 6 are an early Christian creed, a short statement of common beliefs that followers of jesus may have recited in worship services or small group gatherings or what have you there is one body and one spirit one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all so paul is not talking about unity for unity's sake He's talking about a specific type of unity that comes in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So in our day, it's not uncommon for people to call for love or unity or peace or faith, just kind of detached from any specificity, as if they just kind of float out there on their own. And so we love love. Whatever shape or form or expression it takes, that's totally fine. What matters is that you are just a person of love. Right, the Beatles taught us this, right? It's all you need is love, right? Kid Rock encourages us, just get in the pit and try to love someone. And this is, and we just love, love. We're, we're fans of it. We, we come together to support unity. And there's no real need to be specific about what we're united about, mind you. The important thing is that we're together. We gotta be united, and in our day, we're totally good with faith in faith. We just you just need to be a person of faith. Don't worry about doctrine that just divides people. Don't worry about organized religion. That's kind of antiquated. You need think these creeds and confessions. You just need to be a person of faith. Right? Keep with the music theme, you just get your George Michael on and have a little faith. Right? This is that is not the type of generic love and faith and peace that paul is calling us to he's saying what unites christians is a specific clear confession of faith in god the father god the son and god the holy spirit one god in three persons this is one of the reasons why in our starting point class so people come we talk about what the church believes we go through our statement of faith because we need to be clear about the confession of the people who make up king's cross So churches and Christians are called to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus by being united in their calling, in their conduct, and in their confession. Second, we're called to be diverse. Called to be diverse. Unity is not conformity. Unity is not assimilation. It's not homogeneity. We can be united and diverse. And so in verses 7 to 12, Paul points out and celebrates diversity in the unity. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and then Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then he gives this parenthetical insertion. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descends is the one who ascends far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And there's a bit of a theology nerd rabbit hole there. Sometimes people can fall into and talk about, well, where did Christ descend? Is it the earth or is it, is he more of a first Peter three kind of thing? And so if you're prone to that, just understand that's not the main point Paul's making here. The point Paul's making is that when Christ ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to give gifts to his followers. Pastor Josh talked about this in depth two weeks ago. So this uh, call for unity, Paul is making clear that churches and Christians must recognize and treasure and celebrate the diversity in that unity. Because he says, first in verses 7 to 10, that there is a diversity in the church in your gifting. Diversity in your gifting. And I won't re-preach that sermon from two weeks ago, but if you haven't heard it, I would encourage you to jump back on the website or your podcast feed and listen to it. It's very helpful. But note that in verse 7, each believer is given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's not some super spiritual varsity Christians that get gifts from the Holy Spirit. When Christ ascended to his Father, he gave gifts to all believers. And the imagery that's used in verses 8 through 10 is of a conqueror who has come back victorious from the battlefield and is blessing his people with the spoils of war. This is what often happened in that day. There's no internet. You can't check live feed at CNN on how the battle's going. And so when the conquering uh, general or king came back, they would have a big parade, and there'll be all these spoils of war and exotic animals and these types of things, and they would bless the people with that. And that's the imagery that Paul is using here. He says, grace was given to each of us. And he doesn't mean saving grace here. He means grace to do ministry, to pursue the mission of the church, grace to live the life that God has called us to live. He's saying Jesus went to the cross and through the grave and came out the other side victorious over Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. Our conquering king has given grace upon grace to us. He's given gifts to each one of us, and they're personal to us. So in a couple of weeks, families all over the city are going to sit around living rooms and Christmas trees, and we're going to open up gifts, right? It's going to be a gift uh, for me. And, and I'm going to, oh, isn't this so nice? And look at this. And hold it up so mom can take a picture. and well, What did you get? Oh, that's so great. I, that's so fun. That just looks really nice. I hope you saved the receipt. That's so good. You know, and this is like uh, we got to celebrate, but we, we, we rejoice in our gift, but also other people's gifts. Fair. Like when people give Kristen gifts, it benefits me. You know, somebody gives her something for the kitchen. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Because like, I get that gift. And if somebody buys her a nice cashmere sweater or something, then I don't have to buy the nice cashmere sweater, right? So when she gets gifts, it benefits me, and that's how Christians look at gifting in the church. So we see, like, this is what Jesus gave me, and and what is He giving you? And I see that in you, and I acknowledge that in you, and praise God for that, because when He gives gifts in the church, a whole body is built up, and that's why there are so many diverse gifts. Because there's so much stuff that needs to be done. And we need a lot of different people with a lot of different gifts doing a lot of different things. And so we rejoice in that diversity. And because of that diverse gifting, in verse 11, Paul reminds us that both churches and Christians will be diverse in your roles. So everybody has a different gift. There are also different roles. There's diversity there, too. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... Those are roles within the church, and it's not an exhaustive list, but it's just a a representative one, and Paul's saying, hey, keep in mind that with this diverse gifting, there's also diverse roles. There's different leaders in the church. So the other day, I wanted to make fish and chips at home, and so I stopped by the grocery store. I go back to the butcher counter to get some fish fillets, and nobody was there, and there's always Somebody there, it was open, lights are on, but there's nobody there. And so I had a little list. And so I went a couple, two or three aisles and got some other things. I came back and nobody was there. Um, And I did something I've never done before. I rang that bell. That makes me real nervous. (laughs) I'm like, I don't like that bell that, you know, I'll just stay in there all day. But I rang the bell, I had things to do, and I waited, I don't know, a couple minutes. And then I left, and I went and got the other stuff on my list. It was way down at the other end of the store. And then I came back a third time to the counter, and nobody was there, and I rang the bell. And, I, and finally, we just made a different dinner plan. So we had breakfast for dinner that night because we weren't going to have fish and chips. And that's okay. It's not a big deal. It's just dinner, right? But somebody wasn't doing their role. And it caused me to have a lesser experience. The church is much more important than dinner. Fair? And so what we need is we need every role being done with excellence. And there's a diversity of roles. And the diversity of roles doesn't speak to a greater or lesser value of the person doing it. Because you might say, oh, well, back in the butcher shop, that's, you know, that's a much better than if you're just, you know, maybe a, a lowly cashier or a cart. But if I'd gotten the stuff at the butcher shop and I went up front and there's no checkouts open and I'm still in the same spot, right? The, all, the roles all complement one another. And that's the way roles in the church work as well. When everybody uses their gift and carries out their role, then the entire thing works better diversity of roles. And so we walk in a manner worthy of Jesus when we recognize the beauty and the value and the necessity of diverse roles in the church. And we celebrate people with the right gifting being in the right role. We rejoice in the intricate design of the body of Christ that is the church. The backside of that roll coin is verse 12, where Paul reminds us that the church is designed to be diverse also in your responsibility. In your responsibility. The roles that he lists in verse 11 are leadership roles. But notice that the point of them in verse 12 is to equip believers to fulfill their responsibility in the church. I'll say it again the leadership roles in verse 11, the point of them is to equip the believers in verse 12 to do the ministry work of the church. So he gave, verse 11, he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. My job is to make sure you do ministry. But that's my role is to equip you and to give you opportunities to and to support and encourage you in the work of the ministry. So Josh, me, Jacob, Megan, Kathy, Kristen, our elders, like the leaders in the church, our role is to make sure you do the work of the ministry. When I was growing up, I had a very immature understanding of this idea. I I kind of viewed the people, I grew up in the church and I kind of viewed the people who were employed by my church as Like those were the people who worked in ministry. And I kind of thought the members of the church were there to fund their working in the ministry and perhaps to receive some benefits of them working in the ministry. And so it was kind of like having a pastor on retainer. If there was a crisis or you needed some spiritual education or you needed some spiritual encouragement, then you had some people that you could go to to receive that. But biblically, it's just the opposite. Biblically, it's flipped. The responsibility of those in leadership is to equip the saints, the believers, to fulfill their responsibility of doing the work in the ministry. You with me? This is the way it's ordered. So every Christian in every church, regardless of their role, has a responsibility to fulfill. That's why there are so many diverse responsibilities, because again, just like with gifting, there's a lot of stuff to be done. So churches and Christians are called to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus by being united, by being diverse, and third, Paul says, by being mature. But being united, being diverse, and being mature. One way we walk in a manner worthy of Jesus is by acting our age, spiritually speaking. We grow up, spiritually speaking. So Christians who have been walking with the Lord for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, we don't act the same as we did the Wednesday after we got saved. We grow up and we mature, and the same thing is true with churches, or it should be. So here's what Paul says in verse 13 to 16. He says, you know, we're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful scheme, rather. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, those are roles and responsibilities, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he's saying Christians grow and mature so that churches grow and mature so that Christians are being equipped to do the work of the ministry so that the church can continue to grow and mature so that Christians can continue to grow and mature and it feeds off of itself you see this is we all do this together we mature and grow up until we reach the fullness of being like Christ and so if King's Cross is your home I'll tell you that we will grow and we will go about as far as you'll take us. And you will grow and go about as far as we take you. That's why together, as both individuals and a church, we have to be mature. Well, how do we do that? Verse 13 says we do it by having Christ-like faith. By having Christ-like faith. Our goal, Paul says, is to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is an example of why, you know, out on the wall it says that together we grow in the gospel. And if you look, we undergrow in the gospel. We talk about um, worship services and spiritual habits. But the top one is knowing Christ. And we don't want you to know Christ just enough to limbo your way under the bar to get into heaven, right? We we want your faith and your knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of who Jesus is. Yes, we want you to have faith in Christ, but we also want you to have Christ-like faith. And so, if you're not a Christian yet, we want your knowledge of who God is and what it is that He's done for us through His Son, Jesus, to to grow and to be enriched, to bring you to a place of repentance and faith. We want you to know Christ personally. But once you do that, we're not going to just punch your ticket and say, okay, we'll see you in eternity. Like we want to walk alongside you and help you to mature in that faith so that between now and the time when you stand before him, your faith is growing and maturing into the fullness of who Christ has called you to be. And if you're already a Christian and your faith is not yet there, like your faith isn't yet to the fullness of all who Christ was, and spoiler alert, it's not, Neither is mine, so there's no shame in that. But until the Lord returns or calls us home, we're not all the way there yet. And so we want you to know him more because that's the life he's called you to. We want you to walk in a manner worthy of him. And like Paul in verse 14, we also want you to be mature by having stable doctrine. So we want you to have Christ-like faith, but we also want you to have stable doctrine. Like Paul, we don't want you to be children tossed to and fro by the winds and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This, this is an immaturity. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to be like that, that every time something comes along, you're, just, you're over here and you're over there and you're doubting this and you're shaking that and you're reestablishing This and so we we don't want you to go chasing after every shiny new spiritual spinnerbait that Satan casts in front of you. Well, we don't want you to get rattled because somehow you got on deconstruction TikTok and you're listening to these people talking about deconstructing your faith and you're thinking, well, is that, am I, have I been brainwashed? And I think, we don't want you changing churches every two or three years because you can just never put roots down anywhere. And so you're always starting fresh again and again and again, and you're never actually maturing in your faith. We don't want you to get your theology from these Charlatan, false teachers on TV, these best-selling books in Walmart checkout aisles, and they're just like this false gospels we talked about last week. We don't want you to do that. We, We want you to have stable, biblical, rooted doctrine. This is one of the reasons why we try as best as we can to be very, very careful about who preaches here, to be very careful about what curriculum we use over in King's Cross Kids, about which speakers are at which camps that our students go to, what books our community and our grow groups are reading through, you know, our small groups that meet. their material has to go through Pastor Josh. We're not just the wild west out here because we want you to have stable doctrine. So we try to be very careful and prayerful and vet people that are in leadership positions. Because if we're going if you're going to be a mature believer and if by God's grace we're going to become a mature church, then we must have stable doctrine. And last one, we must be a people and a church who have active love. Active love. Listen to how active the language is in verses 15 and 16. Paul talks about speaking the truth in love, growing up in every way, being joined and held together, being equipped working properly, building itself up in love. These are active words he's using. Faith is not something that happens one time when you're a kid, and it's like, okay, well, that's done. I, I grew up back then, and now, no, this is, it's an ongoing, active process. And walking in a manner worthy of Jesus is not passive. It's not passive. It, it's active. And so at King's Cross, we're going to constantly try to encourage you to get off the bench and get into the game. Like, you need to move from being a part of the crowd to being connected in community, from just consuming what happens to contributing and being a part of what happens. Like, there aren't fence-sitters in the kingdom of God. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus was not a passive, indecisive, fence-sitting, just kind of "Ah," guy, you know? Like that, that's, that, that's not a verse in the New Testament. And, and behold, truly, truly, I say to you, eh, you know, like that's not, Jesus' love was active. That's what we celebrate this time of year. It's the incarnation of the Son of God. You know, that is the most active that God has, eh, that's probably a bad way to phrase it. it. It's an example of how active God is in the world that he loves. Perhaps the pinnacle of his activity is sending his son into the world. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. Heard Greg and Vivian read, we love because he first loved us. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you and I are going to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, we have to have a love like Jesus. It's an active love. This is who he's called us to be. As a church and as individual Christians, this is what it looks like, Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of the call of God on your life to follow Jesus. It's to be a people who are united, who are diverse, and who are mature. And if you're not a Christian yet, this is who God will call you to be once you come to a place of repentance and faith. If you're already a believer like King's Cross, this is who we want to be. This is who we want you to be because we believe that Jesus is worthy of us walking this way. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that it is not perfect people who are allowed in your kingdom, but forgiven people who are welcomed to it. And we long to grow up into the fullness of who it is that you have called us to be. As individual believers, as a faith family, we want to be mature. We want to be united. We celebrate the diversity of our body here, not just of the types of people you bring, but of the way that you've gifted us, the roles and responsibilities you've given us. We want to be a... A well-rounded people, a missional people, a growing people. We want to be deep and wide. Would you help us to that end? We believe that as we grow and as we mature into the fullness of Christ, it magnifies who he is more and more, his glory, his love, his sacrifice. So we want to be that type of people in that type of church. It's in His name we pray. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.